welcome to my dad's podcast. My blackest fan is national. Follow him on Instagram. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to My Black is Transnational. My name is Dr. Kalechi Ibe Lambert. And today I have a special guest, my hey. special co-host of the show. Say your name, state your name. All right, I'm Dr. Wanda Averhart. I'm the significant other. Yes, so you are the significant other um, person in the show, right? <laughs> but um, not only is she the significant other, she's also my partner in crime, my partner in life, my wife. And, uh, but... She's also a budding transnational. But before we talk about that, mm-hmm. first and foremost, just want to let everyone know and thank you all again for listening, taking the opportunity to listen to the show. Um, we are available on all platforms. So if you're listening to it on Apple, Spotify. Google, Spotify, um, please make sure to s- subscribe, to follow. If you have any questions and you're listening on the Anchor FM, please don't hesitate to leave a voicemail. Um, or you can email me at kalechi.lambert.com at gmail.com. I promise I will put together an email specifically for the podcast. And I'm not on Facebook and I'm not on Twitter yet because uh, I don't tweet much nor Facebook much. But I'm always on Instagram. And um, you can also um, leave some reviews on Apple Podcasts. Just please subscribe. Send me your feedback. Really appreciate it. If you have any questions, I'm always down to discuss um, at Black Transnational underscore. So today's episode will be kind of, kind of just chilling and pillow talking probably won't be as academic as I normally am. I might get into that during some of my rants, but today we're <laughs> going to be talking about some of these, just the process of being transnational. What's that's like for some individuals? And I'll kind of speak on it through my own experiences, but we'll also talk about it from the process of someone who's becoming transnational now. So um, Wanda is, you know, obviously by association, but also by choice. She chose to be with me and also oh, yeah, chose to accept me. also chose to accept what I bring to the table as far as my cultural background and practices. Um, so her experiences and in being integrated into my culture and, and sharing my life with me is also becoming transnational and in that process where I've kind of gone through that process individually by coming to America, immigrating, and then now um, you know, being an established dual or multi-citizen of um of of different countries so i can kind of we'll kind of speak a little bit about what these experiences have been like and we'll just kind of have i mean what we do is we pillow talk so you all are gonna be in our in our space right now and we'll get in our zone as we just have these conversations that we normally just do on a regular basis and we just kind of want you you all to have a feel for that so um it'll be very informal it might be very passionate and, and heated and not, not, not like that. Not like that. You know what I'm saying? But I do get passionate about, I do get passionate about my life. I get passionate about this, this topic. So we'll be having a really good conversation about yeah. that. So yeah, but, um, what's up? Talk to me. How do you like being married to a transnational? It's complicated. Um, so as an African American, um, I never really thought about the concept of transnationalism. I never really thought much about 
what happens outside of the U.S. because there's so much going on inside the U.S. Um, wasn't until I really started dating you that I said, hey, I guess there's this big world out there that other people are involved in, but not me nor my family. I mean, but hey, it's something to learn and it's something to get to know. Yeah. Uh, so it brings another dimension to your being and your, you know, everyday life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I think it's definitely a different perspective, I guess, compared to mine. Well, I mean, what do you mean yours? I mean, like, just my upbringing, right? So, I think when it comes to my experience coming to America, I mean, I knew there was a different world out there. I mean, we always, as immigrants, as someone, you know, living, growing up or being born in a developing nation. Well, I mean, the thing is, I don't mean to cut you off, but like you said, growing up in a developing nation, you know, you see people go back and forth out of the country all the time, right? No. No? I mean, America was this place that you, you always thought about vacating to. You thought about going on vacation, getting some stuff, and bringing it back. America was never really the hot spot in Nigeria growing up. But you thought of it. Growing up, we never thought even living the country, leave, leaving the country. Nobody yeah. had a passport. No one. Yeah, but my, migration was definitely something. And in most developing nations, you'll see that everybody's always dreaming about getting out and going to the better land, right? So, but I have to be honest, like growing up in Nigeria in the 90s, at least in the you know mid, mid-90s before I got to America in 97, 98, everybody was talking about London. And London, because London has this history with Nigeria as far as, you know, colonization. But most Nigerians are in London doing mm-hmm. things, living their lives, establishing new lives. So America was not necessarily as I, it was not necessarily viewed on viewed by me as a place where I was like going to be long term. But not America. But I'm just saying outside of your country, the idea of being a transnational means that you can be a dual citizen, that that was visible when you were smaller. No, no. That's what I'm saying. Not America. Well, I'm not. Oh, saying other America. countries. I'm saying, as somebody that lived in another country, in a third world country, the idea of being a dual citizen in multiple places was visible because so many people left to go other places. Not for me. No, I really okay. just felt like people would go on vacation and come back. Okay. It wasn't something that settled with me where I was just like, oh yeah, he's going to America and he's a dual citizen and he has dual citizenship. No, I didn't understand all that concept. Yeah. It wasn't until I actually traveled myself and I saw America and I liked America and I was like, yo, I want to stay. And I really like it. I want to go to school here and I want to, you know, I think I can really do good here and I want to be a doctor here. And that's when everybody was like, okay, cool, let's try to make this work. Obviously, I, that's how I felt as a kid. Meanwhile, my parents had other plans. They had this thing figured out a long time ago, I assume, because... Obviously, as a child, I thought I was doing stuff, but I really wasn't in control. <laughs> so, in my mind, I felt like, you know, London was a place to be. Mm-hmm. But then when I came to America, America was just like super, you know, what you see on TV, right? Everybody's like, man, you got to do this, man. Like, everyone's like, man, man, man. So, you felt like people talk differently in America, right? Everybody talk with their slangs and, you know, hip-hop culture, Biggie Smalls, Tupac. These things you see on TV, right? And, you know, New York, L.A., you see all the mainstream things that media allows you to see. So I'm just like, man, America, ah. you know what I'm saying? But London was closer. London had more, you know, the queen, right? All the, the royalty. It just seemed mm, nicer. Okay. It seemed different initially, right? But upon my arrival in the United States, it obviously changed my mind. I stayed, I, you know, came through New York like most immigrants historically do. Um, at least all immigrants, most, you know. But anyway, um, 
came through New York for a little bit and then went to Chicago, which is where I spent the rest of my um my youth and my young adult life. Mm-hmm. So when I came to America, I was like, man, okay, this is different. You know, the first time I saw snow, never oh, seen yeah. snow, never seen snow before. I came to, I used to think snow tastes like ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More like ice. No, I used to think it was, because it looked vanilla. I'm a basic, <laughs> so I'm basic as hell. And anybody who knows me knows that I'm simple. I so like vanilla ice cream. I thought it was vanilla ice cream coming from the sky. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so I used to, so I, I remember I was, you know, staying in Staten Island with two of my two of my cousins, and the first time it snowed in Staten Island, I went outside, and these these clowns, they just let me go out. I didn't understand how cold it was. I didn't understand how cold, you know, snow and cold were correlated. So I went out there, stuck my tongue out. I was like, man, it tastes like water. It's not sweet. It, and then it, I put my hand in it, and it was so cold. And I was like, oh my god, this is like ice. Ah. You know, and then my hands, I got to, you know, I started, like, I started to feel the pain that came with it, with holding, you know, holding ice without gloves, holding the snow without your gloves. And I was like, oh, wow, this is different. <laughs> so this is not the ice yeah, cream. Yeah. And, 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 and you're in New York, too. New York, a dirty, dirty city. New York City. Yeah, you know, yellow snow, dude. Nah, 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 nah. But it was, but it was, it was, it was, it was suspect. <laughs> so, so all, all, all in all, I was like, all right, this ain't, this ain't what the hype is about. But that's when I started getting accustomed. To, I, I got exposed to the cold. I understood different climates, and I was like, okay, it's not just hot because Nigeria you either have rainy season or dry season, as it. So <laughs> it's always hot. It's always rain. hot or it rains, and that's it. So my experience is when I came to New York, and then I moved to Chicago. And for me, Chicago was—I actually remember coming to Chicago and asking um, um, uh, my family member. I was like, "Is this place called the Chicago Bulls?" Is and this place called the Chicago Bulls? I used to Bulls? think Chicago was called the Chicago Bulls. Oh. <laughs> because of Michael Jordan and what oh. you know about Jordan, right? Yeah. In Chicago. I mean, all these things in retrospect, you realize the impact, right, of what media it's does. Learning. It's, it's learning. It's learning a new culture. Yes. Learning a new nation. I got picked everything. up in the airport and I was asking my mom and I was like, yo, this is the Chicago Bulls? And he was like, no, 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 this place is called Chicago, mm. right? And I was like, oh, okay. Where's Michael Jordan? Where's oh. Oprah? Oh, you know what I'm saying? The water tower. They're like, that's where Oprah lived. I used to think the water tower is where Oprah lived. I think mm-hmm. they said she lived there, but she had a condo. Probably. Yeah, she had like a condo or something. But I, so I came with all these these um, preconceived notions as to what this should be like. And then obviously, we stayed in the north side of Chicago before for a couple of years before we moved to the south side. But this is where like how my life got twisted upside down type thing, right? So <laughs> this is essentially how everything became, you know, I, I, I went to, I went to school, went to grade school um, down the street from where our apartment complex and really just figuring out who I was. You know, at that point, like I said, I was, you know, I, I started in, in fourth grade. I was still trying to figure out who I am. I was trying to understand what my name should be and mm-hmm. how I should identify myself. But I knew at home that my parents would always tell me, my mom, she would always tell me, you're not American, or like, you're not one of these Akata people. Don't, and I used to understand, what the hell is it? What's an Akata? Like, what's an Akata? And that's, that's a term, unfortunately, that's a derogatory term that's used to address or identify those who are, who are African American, or in my last episode I call Native African Americans. And that's the term that you use to show, like, okay, we're not, you know, we're not those not people. Them. We have culture. My mom will always say, we have culture. Don't be like them. We don't have culture. So you can already tell, and this is the, the chasm that exists already. And that's another episode in its own right. But just as mm-hmm. far as how I started to construct my identity and how I was told to go about according and, and guiding my life, what, what guidelines to follow. 
as far as how I conduct myself. I was supposed to act a certain way because, you know, being culturally responsible, being culturally active and respectful meant that I was following the African way. And if I wasn't, then I was considered un-African and African-American, that I would be considered lost. Mm -hmm. If I became assimilated, which I didn't understand what assimilation was at that point being young, but if I was doing American things and not doing African things and not necessarily trying my best to hold on to my African ways that I came with, that I brought with me from Nigeria, then I would be considered lost. Okay. I'd be considered a lost child, an, an Americana, and not necessarily a Nigerian anymore. So okay. one of my parents' biggest fears was for me to not be Nigerian in America, but be in America that used to be Nigerian. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if you fully assimilate to American culture, you're no be, longer Nigerian. Then I, but you know what that makes me then? Then I become an African-American. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So ultimately, if you look at it, the fear is that you want you to come to America and not become an Mm African-American. Meaning that you still are tied into your culture and you're not just an African in America that has no ties because that makes you an African-American. But if I'm I'm Nigerian and I sustain my Nigerian ways, then I'm a Nigerian in America. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because my sustained culture, my roots, my ties are still very much so activated. So then this mindset of maintaining your home, I guess, culture in your new land, does that apply if I say as an African-American go to Nigeria? Should I maintain my home culture while I'm in Nigeria? That's interesting. As someone that's trying to become or, you know, ultimately would like to become transnational? Should I do that? (laughs) That's interesting. You know, that's a very interesting point because... This is where, as I talk about the chasm, right? If you come to Nigeria, the expectation is that you do Nigerian things. Because because Nigerians are Nigerian, you come to America, you do Nigerian things. You maintain your home culture. You do. You maintain your home culture, but you're also acculturated into America. You're still doing American things. You're working Because you have to. Because you have to, right? So then if I go to Nigeria, I have to do Nigerian things, like eat the food. But if I continue to maintain my culture, whatever culture I have, now should I continue that? You sh- in, technically you so, should. I mean, but but, but American culture per se, black like, American culture. Yeah, so American culture, like when I went to Nigeria and your mom made the poached eggs because she said that's what American like. Mm-hmm. And so American culture, what everybody else sees in other countries is completely different than African-American culture. Mm-hmm. I've never had a poached egg in my life. Right, <laughs> right. I don't even know what a poached egg is. Right. But for some reason, people think Americans like poached eggs. Right. But African-Americans, we don't eat poached eggs. Right. I mean, I do think that there's a, there's a benefit to... But it has to be... It, I think it comes in... It, it has to be negotiated. Because there's still that unspoken under discussed issue of how Africans, specifically Nigerians or Ghanaians or those who are in Africa, how they view black American culture. Now I say they consume it, but there are lots of the elderly, the I guess if I was to become if I was to use a really, really um big term, the the Luddites, what I would say is those who are still stuck in their old ways. Okay. Essentially, right? Those so Using those people, the conventionalists will believe that their culture is pristine, 
because they're their original, they're the homeland. So therefore, you coming in as American, bringing your American culture, you're bringing in synthetic things. Hmm. So you see, they try to make it a one-way street, but hmm. like I said, huh? Synthetic things. Huh. They think it's synthetic. Okay. They think so the culture is synthetic. It's the it's, culture we made up, but not their culture. Exactly, because it's not originally from the motherland. Mm. Because obviously, historically, African Americans have been stripped from their culture, yeah, and so then you have to make it up. And like I said, yes, and I alluded to this in my last episode, and I do believe it's really the most heavily consumed culture around the world. But if you come to Africa, some people will say that yeah, this culture that you're bringing is not synthetic. You can't do. You can only use it for certain things. It right? is synthetic. Yeah. I mean, it's it is synthetic. I'm sorry, and but you can only use it for. Certain be- certain things, but you can't do s- other things like traditional weddings and stuff like that. You can't bring the American stuff to those so things. So I can't come in and cook my greens and eat my dressing. I think you can, but I don't think you can. So- I don't think it's something that you can do. Listen to every day. I think you can listen to hip hop because we're becoming more westernized in Nigeria now. Definitely, things have become more westernized in Nigeria, especially with the evolution of Afrobeats. Right, and just that connection now that these African artists have with America now. Their American their American life is something that is I mean, people look at it and they say, Hey, this is nice. But you still can't do deep, deep traditional things. And you can't bring you can't integrate American or black American culture into certain things that Nigerians value, such as weddings, right? Or even like naming ceremonies. So I can't jump the broom. No. What is that? You the broom ain't sweet. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you come here, you got a jumping broom. Hey, jumping broom. You, get, you bring a broom and you sweep with a broom. A broom is not for jumping. A broom is for sweeping. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So why are you bringing a broom? What broom are you bringing to go and jump? Okay. Are you mad? That's exactly how they respond. Hey, broom. Are you Jewish? What is wrong with you? You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's it's that's so that's there's still that that denigration that that exists. And I, but I do believe that there are some Africans, African Americans who come to America and they still tie in that stuff. And there's some people who are, who are very much so drawn to it because it's out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so some, the people who do cook their greens, they cook these things and they'll, they'll, they'll have it, but they won't, they don't advertise it heavily. Mm-hmm. Just like Africans in America don't advertise what they do to themselves. But if you have your own community, mm-hmm. like, like people, like what, what they call these um, expatriates, who are in America? Who are in Nigeria working and have their own little community spaces where they come in? They mm. still do American things. Mm. There's spaces in Nigeria now. I tell my brother to tell you, you know what I'm saying? There are spaces in Nigeria very now Americanized. very Americanized. So you can do those things. You can root, root, root for the home team. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you can do all those things that you do. Have pizza. You can still feel like you're in America, in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. There's spaces like that too. So there is that transnational thing there. But if you are trying to integrate fully, just like. African immigrants have integrated fully into the black community as far as living in the same spaces, not necessarily having separate, not necessarily having separate community, but next door neighbor is an African American. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to do that type of assimilation or acculturation, you have to you have to negotiate how often you want to promote that before people see. Look but at that's it. strange because I feel like sometimes with even you speak about it, if you're African and you come to America. And even in the same spaces as African Americans, you don't have to do what African American culture. Um, you don't have to participate in African American culture or even American culture. Your home can be just a Nigerian base, right? Well, the reason is right. America's by by 
in quotes and air quotes, America is a land of immigrants. Mm -hmm. America is a melting pot. Mm -hmm. That means anybody who came to America brought their own stuff and they made it happen here. Mm -hmm. Except for who? Native Americans. And? African Americans. Oh, well, everybody we else brought their own. Too. That's what I'm saying. Everybody else brought their own tradition, their own cultures oh, to the melting pot. Didn't bring any tradition. exactly. Yeah. So that means you can come in and do your stuff because this is a land of immigrants. There's nothing in America that's truly original outside of baseball. I'm joking, <laughs> but I'm just. But I'm saying there's nothing else. You know what I'm saying? So all the everything else is created is, is for the most part synthetic. So in that in that regard, you can look at it and say, yeah. You know, Nigerians come to America and they will do their own Nigerian things. But as I mentioned again, just to go back, if there is a small American community in Nigeria, a black American community in Nigeria, it's possible to have this transnational thing. But there just isn't enough African Americans. There aren't enough African Americans in, in Nigeria. Nigeria to create that community to but be you transnational. Don't why, right? Because as an African American. There are so many barriers to leaving this country. And this is a whole nother subject. Absolutely. A we, whole nother and, subject. And, and, and we will definitely unpack that at another episode. I don't think anybody in my family has a passport but me and my sister. And that's because we went on our way to get it. Yeah. <laughs> nobody else has a passport. Why? Yeah. Because nobody else can even imagine leaving the country, let alone have the money to go anywhere. When I told them I was going to Nigeria... They were like, oh, I've always dreamed, always dreamed of going to Africa, but never thought I ever would. And, and, and what's interesting about that is that if you, when you think about black, black Americans or African Americans with passports, most of the ones who do travel, I mean, you're traveling to vac- on vacation, but not many go far. Oh yeah. It's always the Caribbean. We go into the Caribbeans. We go into Mexico. We go into Canada. Not even can we in arm's mm-hmm. length of the native we're we're in arm's length of the homeland of the home base, which is America, United States. So a lot of black Americans who do travel, if I mean there's some who do have wonderlust, and wonderlust is that that want that 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 feel of wanting to travel. That's the term. But um for those you know, the few and far between African Americans that do have passports rarely go to Africa. They go to other places and most of the time yeah. is vacation. It's not necessarily anything else. Yeah. But I mean, it also is a, and I can speak for myself because I never thought, what am I, 33? I never thought that I would go to Africa. That's never really been um, a goal of mine because I never just thought it was possible. Before I met you, I didn't really connect with anybody outside of this country. Right. Um, so it's just one of those things where most African-Americans don't even think about it. It's just not something that's on their radar. And I mean, you have some fear knowing that you've been prosecuted in your own country and that there are places in your own country you cannot go for fear of being lynched, for fear of, you know, being pulled over by the cops and not returning home, that there's a lot of fear of just when you leave the country, what else are you going to encounter? Leaving your home is not safe. So what else is out there? So what does it feel like? What does it feel like, you know, when you got to Nigeria? What was that experience like for you? Um, I mean, it was it was it was eye opening for sure. Um, I got to, I guess, see what it's like being in another country. 
Um, I have been to Mexico. I've been to Jamaica. I was in Jamaica for a month. And so it gave me a lot of similarities as to what it was like when I was in Jamaica. Um, there was, I mean, just a lot of black people. And that's something you're definitely not used to. Even being in Atlanta for a few years, it still seemed like there were just a ton of black people. Mm-hmm. Um, being in a third world country. Uh, developing. Or developing country. Okay. There was a lot to get adjusted to. And so even as an African-American growing up, I had to realize that there's a a different mentality. And so growing up here in the U.S., um, there was times where we didn't have electricity. We didn't have a phone for quite a while. I think we didn't have hot water or electricity for about maybe five months or so. And that was when the winter was coming. And it was close to November when we got our electricity back on. And realizing that that was as a result of not the system, but as a result of just being in poverty, Mm -hmm. not having money, not being able to pay bills, not being able to, you know, live. We lived in the car. We couldn't pay rent. But then going to Nigeria and realizing, hey, it feels like you're back in poverty because you don't have electricity 24 hours a day. The electricity goes out randomly. Your phone may not be working. Um, The water you can't drink. You got to get bottled water. And so I definitely had to think differently about what was happening there because here, if all those things happened, I would say, oh, Lord, you know, what went wrong? Why don't we have enough money? Why are we in poverty? But there is just a product of the system. Yeah. And I, and I mean, so as you talked about, and that, and that was the, um, the converse to my experience coming in. And, and, and when I was growing up in the United States after immigrating to, um, from Nigeria, you know, the, the access to resources. I mean, some of the things that, like I said, growing up, my moms would be like, man, you know, don't be this, be that. But also there was that, that, that threat of, well, look, Omar, if you mess up, we'll send you back to Nigeria. Right. Meaning like you got a good here, bro. Right. Like <laughs> you got a good here, little guy, do good, do what you owe us, get good grades, Stay away from trouble. Don't affiliate with bad people. Don't join gang, as my mom would say. I don't even know what gang. that means. Anything that was hip-hop related. See, that stereotype that when it comes to black culture and how they looked at it, they'd be like, oh, it's gang-related, all that stuff. They don't understand a deeper meaning to it. But anyway, you know, don't be them. Don't Americanize yourself to the point where you start acting up. You start talking back. You start being disrespectful. If you start doing those type of things and start acting like an American who you think you have a voice, they will send you back to Nigeria so you can humble yourself. And they do that, not, they don't just do that to people who came from Africa and then came to America. They do that to, to kids who were born in, 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 I mean, who were born in America. They'll send them to Nigeria so they can discipline them properly. Mm-hmm. If they feel like they're acting up too much, they will send you to a family member in Nigeria and you'll go to school there and you'll live there for a little bit so you can humble yourself and you come back a different person. Wow, see, well, we send our folks to family members across the country. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, so that's the difference, right? So me growing up, it was like, yo, I got... You know, I got a PlayStation too. My mama hustled for it, but I got it. You know what I'm saying? I got a little baby 13-inch TV. I got light, you know, electricity. We got a telephone with the caller ID. It worked. The water is consistent. The shower is hot. Like, we got so this I on a regular. I can honestly resume. say, when you got here in 1996, y'all were probably living... 97. 97. Y'all were living better than we were. In 97, we were at the time where we didn't have electricity. We didn't have water. 
I mean, well, we didn't have hot water, no phone. It was just, it was bad. But it's interesting, right? Because, but the difference is in this case, my mentality was like, in Nigeria, we had, we were decent, we were doing good, but we still didn't have light and water. You get what I'm saying? We were, we were upper class. Yeah. Mid to upper class, living good, meaning we can have, we had water, we had all these things, but these things we had to pay extra for. And, and for electricity, even if you're paying the bill, doesn't mean that you're going to have water. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're going to have electricity. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You can have, you can have a borehole where you can pump your own water and all that stuff. I mean, guaranteed to be clean. You know what I'm saying? So you can have all the resources. It doesn't mean that it's going to be up to par because you're part of a developing nation. Mm-hmm. And part of that means that it's not structured yet. It has not become what it's going to be. You know what I'm saying? It's going through its rigors. So for me, coming in was like, yeah, my mom was grinding and all that stuff. So that's why an African will look at an African-American and be like, yo, you, you have all these things. And look at what you're doing. You don't have light. Why? You're not working. Why? You didn't go to school. Why are you dropping out? You don't understand these things. Right? So for me, I was like, yo, I'm good. I'm not trying to go back to that right now. Like, mm-hmm. I love my home. I love my country. But things are good here. Right? And I was as I was developing as a kid, like, I started to see different things, you know? So, and, and as you mentioned, the gap, the divide. I had to immerse myself in black history mm-hmm. to know who African Americans were. I knew about U.S. history. I knew about, I could tell you the presidents from George Washington to, at that time, Bill Clinton. I knew kings and queens. I I knew world history. I knew all those things, but they didn't talk about black history. Black history is something you have to go find, like a Pokemon. You have (laughs) to go search for it. Where did you go to school? What do you mean? Was it an all-black school? No, it was diverse. Uptown, diverse. It was was mixed. Because I went to an all-black elementary and nah. so we sang the Black National Anthem. Nope, didn't even know and what that we was. got deep into black history. Yo. All through elementary. I didn't even know that they had a black anthem. I'm going to tell you how I found out about this, the Lift Every Voice and Sing. So, man, my mama was a true hustler. She got me into a whole bunch of like scholarship programs and stuff. So after I finished elementary school, I was a summer program. My mom got me. I don't know if she was watching Oprah or something. But she got me into this program uh, sponsored by Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. Before they became Chase. And it was like a summer program that got you involved in like finances and stuff. I, mm-hmm. I Just a really good summer program. I used to go downtown and do it. I don't know how she got me in it. And it was a young black man, young black boy at that time. It was, we were, it was only two of us. Um, and we would go, we would meet up and we went to like Discover Card. We'd learn all these finance tricks and all that stuff. I still don't remember any of that stuff. I'm broke. <laughs> so this boy, they had a, like a mini talent show. Mm-hmm. And he sang Lift Every Voice and Sing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the hell is this? He's like, this is a black anthem. I was like, the black anthem the is black the American anthem. anthem. No, it's, it's called not. the Star Spangled Banner. What? You know what I'm saying? I didn't understand what he was singing. I had to go look it up. I had to go find mm-hmm. I had to go to the library and like look up the lyrics of Lift Every Voice and Sing. Wow. Because you know you have Star Spangled Banner. You have God Bless America. I don't know. What is God bless America? God bless America. Land that I love. Stand beside her. And guy. You see, that's the see, super. See, I don't know that. That's the I don't super. Know that. What but is that's that? the super white, white shit, right? I so, don't know so that. So that's what I'm saying. I've never God heard bless that. America. You've never heard God bless I've America? I've never heard oh that. Oh my God, yes. God bless America, my home sweet home. God bless America, my home sweet home. So, yes, it's. it's, it's see, this is the stuff you as an immigrant learn. Exactly. You learn the America that they want you to learn. Yes. But me as an African-American, we don't get that opportunity. Exactly. We don't learn about, quote-unquote, 
Caucasian America. <laughs> exactly. Unless <laughs> unless they allow us. So think about that, right? And think about when we talk about the integration of what you of how we don't build as a community, how we separate, right? Because we come in and we see America through the lens of the white man. Or not just the white man, but we learn of the dominant, the majority. And we've been told to look at America in that light. And that means how the majority looks at black people, we don't even have to go into detail about that. You see it. So therefore, I was also try. I was supposedly conditioned to look at it like that, mm-hmm. right? But then I had to break out of that and go like, I didn't really understand Black history until I read a book called Separate but Unequal. Mm-hmm. I was doing a history fair in seventh grade. I was about eleven years old, and I just ran into this book that talked about segregation and Black people. And I was just like, "Yo, this is interesting. This is part of the history of what Black people and white people are going through. Black and white, Black and white. Like, I'm just like, wow." And the reason I even thought about black and white, black and white is because of Michael Jackson's song, Black and White. doesn't matter if you're black and white. Mm. When we made that song. So it wasn't something you grew up realizing. No. It wasn't something that you was like, yo, I'm black. It's just... No, not really. I didn't mm. understand my whole concept of being uh, of my race until I got into high school. Mm. I didn't understand these identities, being black, being, you know, your sexual identity, like gender. All those things didn't matter to me. What if talking about race? Well, see, I didn't understand. So the thing is, as a kid, I didn't understand sexual identity and gender, but I always understood I was black. But I never understood. No question about that. But I never understood that. Everybody lets you know you're black. But I never understood that. I was African. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. I come from a country where they're all black people. Black is nothing. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? So for me, it was like, it's about class, right? And for me, it was like, oh, like, I'm I'm black, you're white. White people are cool. Black people are cool. Like I'll never forget in fifth in fifth grade, I told I tell everybody this story, you know, personally. In fifth grade, we talked about race. And in Nigeria, if you say race, you think about racing, literally running. Mm. Right? Like, you know, race, Olympic race. When you watch I used to watch the Olympics in Nigeria, everybody watches the World Olympics, right? So when I remember in fifth grade um, they said something about like oh, it's being a racist, and I used to race when I was a kid, like foot race. So oh, I was like, wow. I'm a racist. <gasps> Didn't understand. Luckily, my teacher, shout out to Miss Red. Um, I used to she <laughs> she she was like, man, um, Kalei, she's like, honey, I don't let think you, to yeah, you let me talk bit. to you real quick, yeah, because I was like, I'm a racist. I like to run, right? And everybody was oh. like, oh, like he doesn't know, poor immigrant child, right? So I didn't understand. So all these things factored into my. Like, what is race? Okay, like, what is... So this is what they call race. Oh, black and white. So I started reading that separate but unequal. And I have to remember who the author was, but it was a very powerful book. It started teaching me about Brown versus Board of Education. And I really started to go back and look at books that talked about issues in the black community. Right? Then I started understanding, okay, then I started getting exposed to, like, the miseducation. Mm-hmm. Right? Started knowing about, like, Booker T. Washington and, and W.B. Du Bois. And so all these, you know, the, they're still mainstream mainstream black um people in, in milestone makers in, in, in black history mm-hmm. um and then you know you start learning about martin luther king you know but i was like martin luther king's pretty mainstream too it started to go deeper that's when my love for malcolm x came through mm-hmm. right so and then just all these things about black history started to slowly culminate for me and you know so and you got to learn about black history without the the oppression that's associated with it. Exactly. I because got to... when I learned about black history, every time I saw it, I felt like it was oppression that was coming with it. I identified 
with each one I of those never things. understood the oppression. I didn't understand the systematic oppression of racism and all that stuff until maybe towards the end, junior, senior year of high school. Mm. See how long... I came here when I was seven years old. Yeah. Fourth, fourth grade. And I didn't mm. truly understand, you know, the issues that go on in a black community that I had to go out of my way and pursue individually. Mm-hmm. Did not yeah. understand that until pretty much my junior, senior year. But that had, so imagine for those who come into the country and are not focused on school and stuff, just focused on work. Mm-hmm. You take what they give you. You believe in it. You consume it. You don't have time to go out and pursue it. Even though I believe they should, you don't go out and pursue the knowledge that really educates you about the issues that are happening in the black community. Mm-hmm. Right? So it becomes a really, really big deal. But I started really learning about certain things, um, about who, you know, who we are and and my dual citizenship and what that essentially means, right? That I can I go I can go back and forth. I can go do certain things and and African Americans can't do that. Yeah. Or they didn't have the the ability to do that. They had to. I had to truly immerse myself in Black history to understand my transnationalism. So now not only are you transnational dual citizen, so it's like you're a Nigerian and you're an American, but. You're Nigerian, but you're a black American. But I'm black American. Black American. Yes. And Nigerian. Exactly. But that black American had to be constructed by me. Yeah. I had to make up my own black identity. I had to create exactly. my own African American persona. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it, when, when I was growing up, I used to start my name as Kelly. That's what my mommy called me. That's what my dad they used to call me Kelly as my nickname. So I was Kelly. But I didn't keep eBay Lambert's. I wanted to be Kelly Lambert because Kelly Lambert sounds American. Mm. And then as I grew up and I continued to you know, get older, then I changed my name to Kenny Lambert mm-hmm. because Kelly sounded feminine, right? Like I said before, the only Kellys that mattered back then were Kelly Price and Kelly Rowland. And Kelly Rowland. And R. Kelly was a last name. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then I moved on and I was in high school. People used to call me Kenny. It wasn't until I got to college and I started getting involved in like African, you know, cultural association and all these. And I started to meet people in similar situations with similar identities, you know, from even from places from similar hometown associations to my mom's. I met so many people who were the children of of um, members of my mom's mosque or my auntie's mm-hmm. church. Right. In these same small communities that and then were you were able to connect the two. Exactly. And see the power in being a transnational. Exactly. Person. See the ability of being able to. But my trans that whole concept of transnational, I didn't figure out until grad school. Mm. this is a real thing I just thought this was being African I just thought this was what it was like to be an immigrant I didn't understand that immigrants have the choice to say hey no look I don't have to connect myself to to Nigeria if I don't want to Yeah. Right. but it was like by force by nature that I am Nigerian and I have to keep doing Nigerian things because I'm here with a purpose I'm here to get educated I'm here to do well I'm here to make sure that I better my, my the situation financially economically for my family and I should be able to contribute back home when the time is needed you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I came in with a responsibility. Mm-hmm. I don't just owe people here in America. I owe people back home as well. I have a responsibility for them as well. Because some way, somehow, it takes a village and they some way contributed to my growth here. And I don't know. But I came in with the pressure of knowing that I couldn't afford to fail. Mm-hmm. Because my mom and them have invested so much. But I also have responsibilities for when my parents get older or my family members to take care of them as well. Mm-hmm. That's the pressure. You know, that's the that's the mindset that I was conditioned. I was I was kind of framed to have and growing up. So it it, it, it guided me. It, it limited me from really doing other things to some degree, probably helped me. 
Mm-hmm. Because that fear of always not wanting to go back to Nigeria kept me out of a lot of trouble. Okay. I didn't take a lot of risks. Yeah. I didn't do a lot of shit. I didn't get into any, you know, I didn't stay out late to hang out with my friends. I didn't go to the movies to do wild stuff. I went to school, came home because I didn't want to mess around because if I messed around, my mom might send me back. (laughs) And I I didn't think about it as an adult how expensive that shit is. But I thought about it. I mean, growing up as a kid, it was like, yo, they can send me back and there's nothing Mm -hmm. I can do. I got family back home who can take care of me, but I'm going to be missing out on cable. I can't watch the White Sox. (laughs) I can't watch the Bears. I became, because I'm acculturated now. Mm -hmm. I love American sports. So that acculturation process or that process of learning another culture, um, I mean, for me, coming from the U.S. and trying to see and learn about Nigeria, is it going to be such a long process? I mean... I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I think just if you have to think about it, it's going to be as long as you want it to be, and depending on how much you want to immerse yourself in it. Mm. Because we, have, we just have the devices now to be able to stay connected. You don't have to lose your American way if you don't want to. Especially mm-hmm. for, you know, being as old as you, you are now, to truly try to learn something new can become very challenging. True. You're stuck in your old ways. Which is, now, like I said, you put yourself empathetically in the eyes of an immigrant who comes in and immigrates to the United States in their 30s. Full boom, first generation. Usually it's for a reason. They come for a a real reason. Yeah, they come for a reason. Not just for a vacation. Yeah, but but some people do come for vacation. There are lots of Nigerians who come for vacation. You know what I'm saying? Who come and they vacate and they, they go shopping. And they go and they go back to America with Britain. But then that wouldn't make them a transnational, though. It could, though. They have to somehow connect with the American culture and assimilate or do something in order to become a transnational. But if I'm if I can't I'm, just visit and leave. If I'm here for ten years and I decide I want to go back and I want to come here occasionally, what am I gonna do? Well, I mean, that what, ten years kind of solidifies exact, the rest. exactly. But now, <laughs> but now I'm no longer coming. This is no longer my home anymore. I've switched houses. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I turn my big, I turn my summer home into my real home mm-hmm. because I got it like that. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So now that person who's been here for five years, went to school, educated themselves, got the resources. If I did that and I got my PhD and I found an opportunity in Nigeria where I could be a professor in, in Ibadan University or something, and I'm now there now, and now America is my vacation. Mm-hmm. I have a U.S. passport. My America, I come to America and I stay here for, for, for winter break, get some stuff, come back. Why not? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you can do that. So that's that's the that's the utility, that's the versatility that exists in being transnational, and that's yeah. the process. So overall, I mean, it's. I think my experiences, as far as just me figuring out that I'm a black man, and me figuring out that I am, uh, you know, that I'm not just a regular, you know, black man, was very interesting. But it came very late in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I started learning, you know, knowing about sending money back home. I mean, did it come late in the game or did it just come after you accepted and learned about the process? Since you came here so so young and you didn't have anybody to show you the way, it definitely was a process to be accepting of who you are. And it sounds like eventually you got there as a young adult. Um, but I got there because I had, I, I had, you know, when you get to college, you start to feel less embarrassed about your culture and more accepting of your of your pride and who, of who you are. You become more accepting of your parents, more accepting of the ways they do things compared to when you're in high school where I didn't want my moms and them to be 
you know, showing their African stuff out. I didn't want them to be coming around doing certain things that were Nigerian related. I wanted them to be cool, you know, keep all that African stuff on, you know, for Korea when I come home. But when we're out, I want you to try to don't embarrass me. You know what I'm saying? That was how I was in high school and elementary school. It wasn't until I got to college, I really started to gain that black pride, that African pride, Nigerian pride. And then in, mix that in with the knowledge that I had as far as being black, the life that I lived on the outside where I was more American than I was Nigerian now because of what I've, this life I've created for myself independently, that I had the best of both worlds. I am both. I am just as African American as I am Nigerian. As a matter of fact, I can say that I'm more African American than I am Nigerian technically because I've been in America longer than I've lived in Nigeria. But you can't tell me that I'm not Nigerian. You see what I'm saying? So like, mm-hmm. so that that's the complexity that comes with being a transnational. And that process is a very complicated one because it's not something that you really can just, you can't just order these steps. You have to, you kind of live it and then you notice that, hey, look, oh, retrospectively, I am transnational. And that's kind of how I have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like I tell people, you know, metaphorically speaking, it's like a cup. You fill it out with liquid and you consume it. And then someone tells you that you're drinking and you're like, oh, wow, I'm drinking. <laughs> like, oh, like this okay. is pretty cool. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's ultimately what that process has been like, man. But I think, you know, we we've kind of touched on various topics, you know, regarding this. But what do you think it looks like for you when it comes to you know, becoming transnational, what do you, how do you feel about, you know, this process and is it something that you want to fully integrate into or not? How do you feel? Um, I mean, it it depends. So I want to try foods, dress, you know, learn about the culture. Um, but is it something I want to fully, fully assimilate to, meaning give up the American side of me and just become Nigerian? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a very hard thing to do as an adult. Um, but I'm definitely very, very open to learning about it, to practicing the customs and participating in the culture when I'm in Nigeria. Yeah, so that was fun. That was a really good conversation, babe. I think uh, we definitely got the audience. Um, hopefully, we engaged you all long enough and gave you all a little bit of an insight in our lives. Oh, you engaged me. I didn't know you were Kenny. Well, we've been engaged for. I think we passed that phase, babe. Um, but hey, no. why didn't I know your name was Kenny? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Probably a secret that I left in my. <laughs> That I buried deep down in my mind. Actually, I mean, people know that I'm Kenny. Um, you know, though a lot of my high school friends that you may run into still call me Kenny. No. Okay. You know, so. But it wasn't as academic as, you know, typical as the first episode. And, you know, sometimes we want to be able to have this real cool, chill conversations. And we'll, we'll, we'll switch it up from time to time. But this was what you call it. Pillow talk. This is pillow talk. This is right? uh, what we do. Yeah. So I really hope you enjoyed listening to us. Please um, make sure that you follow us on, follow me on Instagram, black transnational underscore. You want to share your gang tag now? Keeping it private? <laughs> I'm not on Instagram. Okay, cool. So <laughs> we can, you know, we can also email me, kalechi.lambris at gmail.com. This podcast is available on all platforms. So please subscribe. Leave your feedback. Tell me how you 
what you thought about this episode. You can even leave a comment on my on, or slide in my DMs in the Instagram machine. So really love just just everyone for taking the time to listen to this episode. Really appreciate the support. Couldn't have done this without you. Couldn't have done this without you, babe. You bring the best out of me like you did today in this mm-hmm. conversation. Love you and I love you too. Yeah, so my name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts. And I'm Dr. Wanda Avard. My transnational is black. <laughs> so is mine. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace. Peace.